Hello and welcome to HemeCast. I'm your host, Luke Pembroke, Creative Director at HemeNet, and thank you for tuning in. In the last few years, we have seen a huge amount of change within the bleeding disorders community, from advancements in treatment and care to a greater recognition of the importance of the patient voice and experience. But with these changes come new challenges. How do we educate the community about these advances in treatment? How do we capture the voice of the patient so it can inform the work we do? It's all good and well collecting and publishing data, but how do we communicate this in a way that captures the attention of community members and helps individuals understand what this could really mean for them? This is where I believe the power of storytelling can make a real difference. And I thought of the perfect guest to dive into this with. Fellow blood brother, expert storyteller, and you might call him the OG podcaster in the world of haemophilia. So <laughs> as, uh, as host of Hemecast today, I'm, I'm feeling the nerves. I, I've got to impress here. Welcome to the show, Patrick. I'm really happy to have you on and finally get a chance to do this. For those that might not know you out there as the uh, OG podcaster, could you just introduce yourself and, and tell us a bit about you and, and your involvement in the haemophilia community? Of course, I'd be happy to, Luke. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So I'm Patrick James Lynch. I have severe hemophilia A and a tolerized inhibitor. And uh, as Luke suggested, I have been doing, I've been podcasting on Bloodstream since 2016 and podcasting in general since 2011, which is also the same time that I started Believe Limited, which is the company I co-founded with my producing partner, filmmaker Ryan Geelan. And the goal there was to create a digital content agency. Those weren't words I would have had at that time, but I was noticing as I was getting more active in the hemophilia and broader bleeding disorders world that there were different ways that people were were active and activated. There were educators, there were advocacy groups, there were people who were working in specialty pharmacies and people who were working for biotech and pharmaceutical industry in one way or another, patient engagement people. And I thought, well, I'm a, I'm a storyteller. I went to school for acting and for theater, and I started getting involved in producing theater and web content when I first got out of school in the late aughts. Man, we're getting old, or I'm getting old anyway. I speak for myself. I'm getting <laughs> old. But yeah, and then all of that started to uh, get funneled into what I wanted to do in, in hemophilia and bleeding disorders, which was use the mechanisms that existed to create content, images, videos, films, experiences, much of which was often driven by, here in the U.S. anyway, the pharmaceutical industry using in-house creative agencies of record or AORs as they're commonly referred to. So there were there was these entities that were doing stuff, but I didn't see many patients or caregivers or people from the community on that side of things and thought, okay, there's an area where I can add some unique value in terms of the creativity and strategy, how to make sure things are being done authentically and appropriately. So I started building in that direction and uh, podcasting, at least as of 2016 through Believe Limited, became a major part of it. So appreciate you giving me the chance to do that little walk down memory lane and it's great to be here now today with you on Hemecast. Awesome. That was a pretty perfectly uh, summed up story behind Believe. One thing that's always stood out to me that I really wanted to get your insight on and, and maybe add a bit more context to the, the setting up of Believe is you mentioned how you came out of acting school and then you saw that there was this opportunity within the haemophilia community to set something up and I've 
had the pleasure of meeting a, a few of, of the Believe Limited crew. And <laughs> I found it so interesting to see a group of people that, not necessarily from the bleeding disorders community, really, at all. Creative people. Right. Not originally. And people that you'd never... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now you rope them in, they're stuck with it. I always say, if you end up working within the, the bleeding disorders community, you're as, as quote-unquote, doomed as the patient. You're stuck with haemophilia. <laughs> um, I, I just wondered, what was it like explaining to these people your vision and getting that sort of buy-in from this group of people who had no sort of connection to haemophilia to start really building up what Believe Limited has become today? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's something that we're challenged with across the community. How do we get people who are not born with a bleeding disorder or have a child or a spouse or a sibling with a bleeding disorder or a parent, how do we get that th those folks to, to care, to, to lean in? And for me, it started with my partner. It started with Ryan. And I knew Ryan as a filmmaker first. Uh, when I was an actor, he had cast me in a couple of web commercials. And so I got to see each of which was just one day sh shoot. So I only spent a few hours on two different days with him spread across a few months. But he left an impression. I saw the way that he worked on set. I, I saw the way he worked with me. I saw the way he worked with his crew, the energy that he brought, the calm, the focus. I saw the edits that he ultimately was either responsible for, did it himself, or I don't know if he had an editor, but I saw the end product. I saw the traffic he was able to drive to it on YouTube. And I thought, okay, this guy's got skills and a network in an area that's really of interest to me. And so we each kept in touch. We each dropped each other, you know, just a polite check-in email six, 12 months uh, following our initial meeting. And, and then the second time I actually had something to say. So I asked him to meet me for a drink and I just pitched him on this idea. And I think the thing that, that really two things. One, he has a journalism background. So actually, he didn't go to school or train to be a filmmaker. He trained to be a journalist. So he is someone who has thought a lot about how to express his point of view, how to express a point of view that is necessary and urgent and perhaps not even particularly popular. And so I think there was a certain amount of pre-existing receptivity that he had for my desire to use entertainment as a mechanism for change and as a Trojan horse for education and empowerment. And then the other piece of it was the story of losing my brother. So uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm 36 when I was 21, just before I graduated school. My brother, who also had severe hemophilia, died of an intracranial bleed uh, while he was away at, his, at college in his freshman year. You know, that, that story of losing my brother and then determining, oh, he never fully bought into his identity as somebody with severe hemophilia, a life-threatening chronic disease that kills most people before age 10 globally without treatment. That's what it biologically is, after all. So he never had the identity, and therefore when he went off to school, he fell off his profi regimen. And when we found him, we found his factor in a duffel bag under his bed, and it hadn't been touched in a while, so it was clear, wow. He just fell off, took some head bump, thought nothing of it, went to bed, and that was it. So that story as well resonated with Ryan and is one that I think then resonated as we started to expand the team and, and bring in Josh and Rob and Amy and Mel and Jessica and the whole group. Jessica is someone I knew in college, so 
Uh, and there's been a couple of people who work on specific projects that I've known and who knew my brother. So there is a little bit of the you know connection to him and to my family that way. But for the most part, f- with Ryan and everybody else, it was the mission of using entertainment as a vehicle to create change and the story of losing my brother and not wanting to lose other people like that when we were living in an era with medication, the likes of which hemophilia had never before seen with quality of life and possibilities and potential that we had never before seen. It's all for naught if the factor never makes it out of the duffel bag in your college dormitory. Um, I think that's what had to do with it. And I think that goes back to the power of storytelling, which I know is something that you and I have talked about quite a bit. And I think is the answer as well to the original question of how do we make people who aren't born or born into or marry into this thing care? Good storytelling is the answer. You know, the data and all of the stuff that we who really nerd out and live with this thing might care about. I mean, as we well know, because we're all just people at the end of the day, it's the stories that get us. It's the stories that reel us in and make us care and open hearts and minds and allow for a shift in perspective and priorities. Without those, you know, we're just rearranging the the deck furniture, so to speak, on the Titanic. Well, I ended that in a heavy spot. You asked like a nice question. I ended it with the the, the sinking of the Titanic. <laughs> Talk about storytelling. <laughs> Patrick, come on. Yeah, drama school. There he is. It's interesting that you sort of landed on that point of the, the power of storytelling at the end there, because that, that's what I wanted to, to tap into. And I think it's, it's commendable mm. that you've taken a really traumatic and, and tragic experience and use that to try and benefit the community, but also raise awareness amongst the the non-hemophilia community as well, if you like. And I think the first time I came across Believe and what you guys were doing is when I at first was on YouTube and started making videos, I uh, was doing all the YouTube keywords and I came across Stop the Bleeding. And I was like, this is interesting. It's like, uh, I love the US office. And I was like, this is someone's, someone has made a hemophilia version of the US office of this kind of dysfunctional but somehow still works patient organization and I I thought that was just such a a really cool way to engage and I think it's one of those things that it's got stuff in there for the 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 older people in our community as well as engaging the the younger population check it out I'm going to put all the links in the description here but as that sort of I think one of the the pillars of Believe Limited and, and what you've been doing and how many seasons are you on now actually <laughs> we're working currently on the 12th we produced our first animated season last year as our 11th <laughs> yes awesome uh, the animated one you have to check out it's uh animated explanation of the coagulation cascade so if you can make that entertaining and interesting that's you know riveting as a, a skillful bunch <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no it's fun to actually figure out how to bring that to life because it's so important this thing we talk about it you know at least yeah it's peripherally or, or you know on some level it's so important but what does it actually do how does it actually work what are these factor proteins responsibilities within this larger thing and especially in this era with novel therapeutics and what's happening on the drug development side, we have to better appreciate what the function of these proteins within a larger series or cascade of actions actually are and how they relate to each other. So figuring out working with Comedy Central and FX television comedy writers to figure out how do we take all this science and the characteristics of some of these proteins and turn them into actual characters and relationships, you know, and people and, and things that have hopes and dreams and fears and strive and fail and and the whole bit. Appreciate you including the links and giving a plug to stop the bleeding. 
Well, actually, whilst we're talking about it, why don't I go ahead and play a short segment from the latest season of Stop the Bleeding. Obviously, you can't see the animation, but I think this little clip will give you an idea of what Patrick and his team have tried to do to bring the coagulation cascade to life. Since the dawn of time, we have tried to teach the clotting cascade. We've discussed its convoluted process over and over and in many ways. We don't expect everyone to understand it. In fact, most won't. But today, you factors who have formed a bond only you truly understand, head out into the bloodstream where you'll one day become part of a clot yourselves. <laughs> and will bear witness to the mystical Factor 13. I remember when I first saw 13. I remember when I first saw 13. It was 900 years ago and fibrinogen roamed the spleen. Eight? You're gonna get us in trouble. Oh, come on, Nine. We're graduating. We can't get into any more trouble. Let me enjoy this. This is the day we finally enter the bloodstream. That was a short segment from the latest season of Stop the Bleeding, where Professor Von Willebrand is giving a graduation speech to factors 8 and 9, ready to head out into the bloodstream. And if you needed any more proof of Patrick's acting chops... That was none other than him voicing Professor Von Willebrand Factor. So if that has piqued your interest and you would like to watch the full season of Stop the Bleeding on YouTube, I'll be putting links to that in the episode description. So go check it out. So thinking about the inspiration behind Stop the Bleeding, where, where did you first have this concept and this idea? I always think it's so important that people find this somewhat interesting or want to know more about it and understand what are the medicines you are taking actually doing. And I think for a long time, I'm lucky I was a bit of a science nerd and I had some really cool doctors around me as a sort of mentors when I was going through my haemophilia center growing up. And it drove me to understand more about the science behind my condition, which I think helps. But I think to a lot of people, they're given factor and told to take their factor, but the idea of factor is still like nebulous. It's just, oh, it's factor. It's another mm -hmm. word for medicine to me for the most part. And mm -hmm. I think you're getting people to really understand why it's important to first and foremost learn to be an advocate for themselves, which is one of the, I think, one of the big messages I took away from Stop the Bleeding. But I'd love to get your thoughts on, on how you were inspired to start making the show. Yeah, well, a couple things. I wanted to create. I wanted to create a narrative, so something that was scripted, that was fictional, that we could really control the storytelling of, and that would use narrative storytelling in a very um, mindful way to create an arc around things like self care, like advocacy, like uh, hill days and legislative advocacy. So. That was a known thing. All right, we want to create a narrative with an act one, an act two, an act three, where there's an entertainment thrust, character-driven stories that ultimately has a very clear takeaway. And along the way, trying to use any opportunity we could to demonstrate community 
literacy and understanding, you know, little details throughout, but those are the kind of the big pillars of each episode. Well, then thinking about logistics and practicality, it is expensive to produce anything, period. You could end the sentence there. It's even more expensive to produce narrative because you are you are saying, you know, here we are, it's, it's Game of Thrones, and this isn't Iceland, this is a country the name of which I've forgotten about because I haven't watched that show in a few years, so that probably wasn't the best reference to make right now. But the idea is you have to literally create the world that you're living in. That costs money. If it's a documentary, it still costs money. But, I, you know, as I'm a fan of saying when we do documentaries or mockumentaries, which is what Stop the Bleeding is, <laughs> reality is our greatest asset. What is actually here, what is actually happening, everything that's actually actually, that's our greatest asset. And that was part of the thinking with Stop the Bleeding was we, if it's a mockumentary, it reduces the cost burden. So we may actually be able to get something like this off the ground. Um, and then from a more community-oriented point of view, a, a mockumentary also breaks the fourth wall. So the fourth wall is the wall between the audience and the performers. So in theater, you know, theoretically, there's upstage behind the characters, that's the back wall, left and right, and the fourth wall is you, the audience, out in front. And when the character in Shakespeare, when Hamlet steps forward and does a soliloquy, they're breaking the fourth wall and speaking directly to you about what's going on. Well, that's the same thing that we enjoy, part of what we enjoy about The Office, all the little breakaway interviews and the looks to camera from Jim, all these little ways that the characters jump out of the television screen and feel like they're right there in the room with you. And yet, it's not a documentary, it's scripted. So that felt advantageous to me. Ooh, especially for me as a patient in this fictitious world of the show to be able to look directly into the camera at the audience at home, at those young people, at their parents and to deliver key messaging or to be the fool that allows a key message to come through. That's powerful stuff. And a mockumentary enables all of that to take place. And all of, of course, its popularity didn't hurt, but it were the, to use a, a science word, the mechanistic capabilities that a mockumentary like The Office enabled for us is what made it most interesting to me at the start and seemed immediately gettable when, when I pitched it first to Ryan and then to others. And ultimately, Baxter is who supported it back in the day originally. And, and Takeda, the legacy company, still does. So that was obviously a, a reference point that people could grab onto and go, OK, yeah, I can see where you're trying to go with that. It's so true. The style in which mockumentaries are made just really lends itself to communicating these important and sometimes difficult messages to the bleeding disorders community. It's such a cool way to have done it. And obviously you guys, I believe, do lots of other stuff, but I couldn't not ask you about Stop the Bleeding, given, like you said, it's now in it going into its 12th series, which is... That's long crazy. running. People people want it. People are demanding it. It is. It's got, it's got a good footing. And I'm sure there's other things you want to get to. I'll, I'll just throw out one other thing, because I don't know if this is ever going to come to light. So you heard it here first on the HemeNet podcast, but just before the pandemic, we had aspirations of doing a Stop the Bleeding film that thematically was on what is the future of our community in which my character, Spencer, um, is considering enrolling in a gene therapy clinical trial, something, Luke, that I thought you may be able to appreciate. And so we, we spend the film kind of with that thought process and decision-making of Spencer's while going back and seeing how he grew up, what life was like, and, and my character in the show, he's adopted my 
story of losing his brother. So we go back and see how they grew up and how the inhibitor played a role in their life and what else was going on in their life, the introduction of recombinant factor and prophylaxis, family members aging with much more complicated hemophilia. We get to go back and kind of look at all of that while in real time being with Spencer as he speaks with his significant other and his parent and his best friends and his colleagues and his community and the doctors and about is this the right decision for me? Unfortunately, with the pandemic, that plan had to go sideways. We had a virtual 2020 season, which I'm really proud of and is great in and of its right. But is we didn't try to adapt to that whatsoever for a virtual platform. We just have this uh, feature film length script that we developed. But uh, I don't know. I you know maybe next year. So I'm mentioning it now because it just may never come to light. And if it doesn't, at least you all here on the HemeNet podcast got to hear about it. <laughs> and that's, that sounds awesome. I love the concept. I will keep my fingers crossed that it does take off because I think Stop the Bleeding end game sounds good. <laughs> that exactly, that's exactly right. Or the Farewell Tour, F-A-I-R-W-E-L-L. Endgame sounds a, a bit dark, I guess, kind of. Endgame, doomed like the Titanic. Stop the bleeding. <laughs> That's what we're going for. That's the messaging. Thinking of things like Stop the Bleeding that you've done and a lot of the other podcast series, th there's one thing that I think is one of the biggest challenges. We mm. can both sit here and talk about the power of storytelling and agree that it's really important and that the ways we do it need to have that mass appeal. So I love video content, media like that, and podcasts, animations. I think they're, they're a really good way of doing it, but they have to have the right tone. And I think there has been a lot mm. of content put out over the years. And I think of stuff that I've seen when I was younger. And sometimes it just doesn't hit the right tone. It's even more difficult to try and get the wider community to really appreciate the potential and power behind storytelling in this way. Yeah, it's a good point you make about tone. And one one slight, I don't know if pushback, but just nuance to, to what you were stating that comes to mind in general is I, I don't know how much the community is hesitant or wavers on, on the power of creativity so much as, I'll say, certain gatekeepers and decision makers who like, well, we do things this way. Well, I, you know, it's a very serious... One of the first notes I ever got on Stop the Bleeding, actually, to go back to Baxter, officially it was called Stop the Bleeding, colon, a comedic web series. That's the program name. That's what it says in all the paperwork and on the documents. Stop the Bleeding, colon, a comedic web series. And I purposely pushed that framing so that right there in the title, it's very clear what it is. The first note during a legal review needs a more serious tone. I read that note and just about was like, well, I guess we're done here. <laughs> Nothing more to talk about. You just said the comedy series needs a more serious yeah. tone. And it's exactly what you're talking about, right? It's some well-intended person who's also got some legal considerations on their mind that's like, oh, we can't joke about medicine or something. So obviously I pushed back pretty hard on that and I'm glad I did because when Stop the Bleeding actually came out and people could absorb it and we're like, well, this is this is different. This has a different, I'm interested, I'm listening, I'm paying attention, I'm sharing this, I'm bringing my kid, I'm, I'm watching this with my kid. Much different than some of the other stuff that has come out to the point you made about the amount of content that, you know, has some repetitive tone or, or just doesn't deviate much from the same kind of blocking and tackling principles of storytelling and producing patient stories and, and what have you. 
we have a lot of very smart science focused people in the community and I think it's always tricky to try and get them to look at this more creative way of doing things and, and see the value to it. You've come along with the latest podcast series, the Global Haemophilia Report, and, and having listened mm -hmm. to the, the first episode and, and read a bit about your ambitions for it moving forwards, from what I can tell, it's a, a really good way to strike that balance between using creative storytelling, but still having that kind of core scientific element that would get the buy-in from these other more academic people in the community, if you like. And I was just hoping that you could maybe dive into to what the Global Haemophilia Report is, what you hope it will be, how you hope the community will respond to it. Global Haemophilia Report is a, a, an interesting evolution of our work. We did want to create something that clinicians in the treatment centers, non-expert hematologists and, and other professionals teaching in, in universities, investigators, people who are touching those aspects of science and the treatment and care of patients on the professional level, something that they could tune into once a month, that's just one episode a month, that would give them sort of the latest and greatest snapshot on subject A, subject B, subject C, with contributions from leading folks. So the amount of interviewing that we're doing for these, uh, the first episode on inhibitors, I think we have 10 contributors for, and we're, the one we're doing now on novel therapies uh, is at about that same number. And it's an all-star list of people. It's a heck of a writing challenge to try to figure out how to get it all into an organized structure and then to find the kind of story thematic elements that help it become an actual beginning, middle, and end experience and not just data point, data point, data point, well lined up and with some music underneath it. That's not the goal. So it is my attempt and our attempt at Believe to create something still entertainment. You know, we say driven by science, curiosity, and storytelling. And uh, entertainment is still the thing that's the Trojan horse, you know, getting in behind the gates and making that first impression. But this is definitely a, a move into a more... Uh, I hesitate to use the word, but sophisticated, scientifically nuanced and detailed space. And so far, the receptivity has been great. We've gotten a really great responses. I think for people for whom this kind of content is of interest, this show is very much of interest, you know. And if it's not for you, then that's okay. You know what I mean? It's not supposed to be for everybody. It's so true looking at the, the Global Haemophilia Report and the first episode and, and without giving away the secret source here, but having seen some of the, <laughs> the notes to the second episode, it's flipping that traditional podcast element on its head. They're not guests per se. You have a cast. These experts in the field right. are almost this cast of this episode and you, you get taken through this story that, that adds so much more to the data that you're trying to talk about. And, and I think that's like, for me, it really incorporates that storytelling element while still being able to get the nitty gritty science stuff across to people as well. And I think that's the way to do it. If you want to go read a paper, you can go read a paper. You don't want to just then hear a, a, essentially a paper recited when you tune into a podcast. Exactly. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to future episodes and highly recommend people uh, check it out if, if you do consume podcasts in the, the haemophilia space. And it's been great finally getting a chance to discuss on air our sort of passion for storytelling and how we've tried to bring that into the haemophilia world. Uh, I just wanted to, to open up the floor to you just to let me know what your hopes are for the, the future of Believe in terms of creating content moving forwards. And as you said, COVID sort of meant 
things had to grind to a halt and the creative field was definitely one that felt that one of the hardest, I think, given that film production often needs to be done in person a lot of the time. What, what mm -hmm. are the next steps? Is there anything you want to drop any teasers? I know you kind of already did with the Stop the Bleeding film, but I, I'd just love to hear what the goal is <laughs> as having seen the, the mission of Believe with your, probably the best series of company headshots I've seen recently released <laughs> with the whole team. Thank you. What are, what are you guys going to be you. up to? <laughs> uh, well, thank you for the opportunity to come on to, and to share about this. So I guess a couple quick things come to mind. You know, somebody asked me once, will you ever leave hemophilia? It was somebody I was working with and they were genuinely curious in that question. I didn't know what they meant. I was kind of confused. My response was, well, I don't think hemophilia is ever leaving me, so... I uh, don't see how that's possible. And as I've gone on, I, I, I have come to appreciate, oh, they meant at some point, will you seek to do this kind of work, take this mission, this philosophy, this team, and focus elsewhere? And the, the truth of the matter is, no, we're not going to just leave. I am actively seeking to expand and to do what we do across other rare disease communities because the principles of how we produce stories work with patient communities, create best-in-class content, films, and experiences to help with education, empowerment, advocacy, that's not exclusively needed in hemophilia. You could argue most other rare diseases need the kind of attention and support more than hemophilia, need that level of attention and support even more than hemophilia because they don't have the same level of uh, historical organization and all of the, the pillars of our community that we benefit from, and, and of course, the therapeutic development of the last few decades. We are expanding into other disease states, which is really exciting, and learning about other communities and the needs and the way that life is disrupted and figuring out how we can use storytelling and art and entertainment as vehicles for change in other areas. And we also do produce feature films and television and podcast properties intended for general consumption. So we're continuing to develop and work through pre-production on some of these larger projects. And I'm hopeful that in the not-too-distant future, you will see, believe, we've had a few films the last few years, Bombardier Blood with Chris Bombardier, of course, and The Summit of Mount Everest come out. My Beautiful Stutter, on a group of, focusing on a group of five kids from around the United States who stutter. And we were involved in the short film that's premiered at Sundance and was shortlisted by the Academy Awards, Sometimes I Think About Dying, which obviously, based on the title, as you would assume, has something to do with battles with mental health and depression. So we're continuing to use our mission to try to make a difference in, and to decomplexify and demystify various aspects of health and wellness through film and content. So I hope you'll see us doing a lot more of that both in and outside of hemophilia, both on the agency side as well as on the at-large entertainment side. I've really enjoyed getting this insight into the inspiration behind the work you do. Thank you so much for joining today, Patrick. It's been really fun to play host for once, and hopefully we can do this again in the future. My pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Keep doing what you do. I can't tell you all out there who are listening how often Patrick and I have got into this conversation around the power of storytelling and its place in the world of haemophilia and bleeding disorders. So I'm very glad we were able to get it into a podcast as opposed to the ramblings through WhatsApp voice notes we've sent over the past couple of months and occasional Zoom calls we've jumped on. So I hope those of you who have listened in have enjoyed this somewhat different Hemecast and that you'll go away thinking about 
the ways we can be more creative in telling the stories within the data that we're collecting in the world of haemophilia and bleeding disorders at the moment. As I previously mentioned, I'll be providing links to Stop the Bleeding in the description of this episode, and I'll also link to Believe Limited's website if you're curious and want to find out more about what Patrick and his team do within the world of haemophilia. Thank you for joining us, and a final thank you to our sponsors, CSL Bearing, Chugai, Roche, Sobi, and Takeda, who make Heemcast possible.